So we're starting a, a new series today uh, for the next four weeks, and then we're going to take a break from it uh, until mid-July, and then we'll return for another uh, for the summer holidays for another six or seven weeks. And our new series is called Encounters with Jesus. And as we start off this afternoon, I just want to say and, and speak a little bit about why that matters. Because of what Christianity really is, and because of what it's mistaken for. Some people think that Christianity is a lifestyle. Something that you can see. Something that, as you look in from the outside, you think, oh, that, that's what Christianity looks like. But Christianity is, is not just a lifestyle. It's not simply a way that people live. An agreed set of morals and ethics. Perhaps you feel as though certain types of people are Christians because they are nice or polite because they go to quizzes to raise money for charity. But that's not what Christianity is. And really, I think you're probably only likely to have that idea of Christianity if you've grown up in a, a culture that has been formally shaped by Christianity. Our friends amongst us from the Middle East, from countries where Islam is the, the dominant religion, wouldn't recognise that as Christianity. But we might think that's what Christianity is like. And I want to say it's not. I also want to say that Christianity is not merely a self-identification. Although Christianity can be heard, it can be professed. In our country, the UK, it's still true that more people would say the words, I'm a Christian, than actually are. Every 10 years, our government takes a census, a collection of information about the people who live here. And many people will tick the box, the what religion are you box, and they will say, I'm a Christian. But merely ticking that box doesn't make you a Christian. Christianity is more certain than how you feel or how you identify. Though, although, Christianity, true Christianity, will be felt, will give somebody a certainty about who they are, and it will lead to public profession. Christians will say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus. So if that's what Christianity is not, what is Christianity? Who are Christians? How can we identify to true Christianity? Well, we could go to the historic confessions of the church. We could look at the doctrines that the Bible teaches, statements of belief. Or we could do this series. And we could look at one really central truth about every Christian and it's simply this every Christian has had an encounter with Jesus and through that encounter with Jesus they have come to know and not just know about but know in a relational intimate true living way the God who made them that's what Christianity is 
Somebody who has come to know God through an encounter with Jesus. So let's begin our series with a guy called Andrew. I've given you three headings to break down what little we know about Andrew. If you've got the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the flyer thing that we give out at the start, the program, order of service, you'll see the headings on there. And each of the headings tells us something about Andrew, but also tells us something about Jesus. So Andrew is a follower, Andrew is a finder, Andrew is a fetcher. And that will teach us about the intrigue and the integrity and the invitation of and to Jesus. So that should be fairly straightforward, okay? So firstly, let's start with Andrew the follower. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn back to that passage, John chapter 1. We'll be dipping in and out of it. But let's put together a, a social media profile for Andrew. There's no physical descriptions that the Bible gives us. We don't know if he's tall or short, dark or fair. We don't know what colour his eyes are. We know where he comes from. His hometown is a place called Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's a fisherman by trade. You can look, find that in one of the other accounts of Jesus' life. And we learn that he's a, a disciple, a follower of John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus. Now, I'm guessing that had there been a first century edition of Facebook, that Andrew probably wouldn't have mentioned any other family members. Because, well, he definitely, I don't think, would have mentioned his brother. Because his brother was far more well-known, far more bold, a kind of guy that everybody in town knows, Peter. And I've called Andrew the Forgotten Brother as a title for our, our sermon this afternoon because that seems to be his lot in life. He's the other one. You know, the, uh, the, the other guy. Yeah, oh, he, um, you know, that sort of person. Maybe you feel like that sort of person. My younger brother, who's a year younger than me, had the misfortune of following me through school and life. I'm quite tall, quite noticeable, quite vocal. He was short, quiet, and having to endure the same teachers a year after I had them. He had one notable experience where he walked into a history lesson at the start of a new year, and the teacher just went, sit over there, I don't want anything to do with you, I know what you're like. Because she knew what I was like. <laughs> he got to 16, he had a growth spurt, and turns out, He's far more talented than I am in pretty much every way. But a forgotten brother. Andrew is a... Well, we just don't know much about him. Let's just read again from chapter 1, the verses from 35. And even the way John tells the story gives us that indication into him. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples... When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So even as John tells the story, Andrew starts as a, not even worth mentioning who he is. He's just a disciple of John the Baptist. And then as we listen in and see his interaction with Jesus, we still don't know who he is. We've heard his voice, or maybe, maybe it's not even him, maybe it's the other guy. And only at the end of this interaction do we get his identity revealed. He's Simon Peter's brother. Now it's interesting to note that as John writes this book, he's clearly aware that the people he's speaking to know who Peter is. Because he can identify Andrew by Peter. It's assumed that the readers know who Peter is and he can be their point of reference. Peter becomes the leader of the early church. He's got the loudest voice. He's the most well-known. He preached a sermon where thousands of people turned to follow Jesus. Everybody who knew anything about the church and about Christianity knew who Peter was. And Andrew is his brother. So the second thing we want to note is that this is where Andrew's coming in. He's forever in his brother's shadow. Perhaps you know the feeling. Always being referred to, if you're referred to at all, by your proximity to somebody else. Your Laura's mum. Or your Dave's missus. Or you're the pastor's wife. Defined by somebody else. Andrew is Peter's brother. Other than the listing of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, Andrew is one of those, Andrew only gets two other mentions in the pages of the Bible by name. And neither of those do we hear him speaking by himself. You can't get Peter to shut up. He's on every page in the New Testament, throwing himself in, head first, shouting, speaking, often before he thinks... He's always mentioned, but Andrew, well, he's there, in the shadows, or specifically in his brother's shadow. But we're told that Andrew is a follower. When we first meet him, he's following John the Baptist. And as Nick said, we've just got to clear up, John, the disciple, writes this book, and he writes about another guy called John, who does lots of baptizing. So he becomes John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, we're told, has come in advance of Jesus. And he tells us that himself. As we meet him in the early pages of John's gospel, that's his, his main statement. I'm not the guy. I'm the guy who comes before the guy. And he quotes, tells us that by quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, That he's the one who comes to prepare the way. And when people come and ask him, he denies, he flat out denies that he is God's chosen king. But he's more the advanced scout who comes to make sure the path is ready before the army advances. Or he's the understudy in the film, standing in for the main star, comes in so that they can get the lighting right for the show. That's who John is, the before role. Not the starring role. But 
John's role is one that great, gains great traction. Crowds flock out to hear him and to be baptised by him. He also garners great scrutiny and some opposition because his message threatens the stability of the religious status quo. He's a strange character. But he calls people predominantly to repentance. He says you need to stop living the way that you've been living. And you need to start looking for something greater and bigger and better than me, than him. And at the start of this account of the life of Jesus, John records four days happening in quick succession. And at the heart of them is John the Baptist. And at the start of it is John the Baptist. And by the end of the four days, John the Baptist is forgotten and it's all about Jesus. And the first two are marked by John the Baptist shouting out to all who can, around him, all who can hear, look, the Lamb of God. The first time, day one, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then on day two, when he sees Jesus again, he says, look, the Lamb of God. And that's days one and two. And then days three and four are marked by people looking at Jesus and going to Jesus and finding Jesus. So Andrew is somebody who is looking for more. He's heard John's message, he's seen the response, and he's, he's following John around and saying, tell me more. He's a searcher, a seeker, and he follows the evidence. He sees the response of people to John's message. In John, he finds truth, uncomfortable truth, but truth that his heart can't ignore. He hears a message that says God does care about right and wrong. God does see the state of his people and the state of his world. And God is going to come and do something about it. He's going to act to judge, but also to save. Andrew hears John's message and says, there is something in this that I need to, I need to explore. I need to know more of. Andrew finds in John the Baptist a faithful messenger worth following. And I think there's something in that that Andrew will see in John, a wonderful mix of, of compelling truth, but also incredible humility. Somebody, even as the crowds flock to him, says, it's not about me, it's about the one who is to come. I think we would recognize any of us that have had that thrill of people looking to us and, and going, oh, impressive. It's hard to give that up. It's hard to, to point that towards somebody else. And yet, Andrew sees in John and hears from John something that he's got to explore. And at the heart of it is this message, Behold the Lamb of God. So there in verse 29 and again in verse 36. 
And there's something there that intrigues Andrew. When the Old Testament talks about lambs, it talks about something that that God provides for the benefit of his people. The Old Testament story of the Exodus. You can read into that later. It tells us that when John hears it says these words, Behold the Lamb of God. There's something in there about God entering into the present situation. And there's something in there about judgment, but also about salvation. John the Baptist, as we find him, he's doing a sideways shuffle to get off center stage. He's not clinging to position, he's not clinging to power. And there's something about this Jesus this message, this call to look that is intriguing to Andrew. It's clawing into his soul that God would be at work, that God would enter in. And maybe you're here this afternoon and maybe you're not used to church or used to this church, but there's a reason you're here. Because there's something intriguing about Jesus. And about the people that follow him. If you take Jesus at face value, if you take Jesus at his words, he is intriguing. There's nobody else like him. Never has been. Never will be. Somebody who claims to be God himself. Somebody who has ultimate power and yet cares about the smallest, weakest individual. And there's something intriguing about the people that follow Jesus. Maybe you're here this afternoon and you've got that intrigue. What is it about Jesus that means that my mum keeps on going to church even though... Fill in the blank. What is it about Jesus that means that my parents are acting in in such a way, are so committed when this or that? What is it about Jesus that means people who seem to suffer so much come and sing the praise of the God who is in charge of it all? There's something about Jesus. And Andrew, who follows John the Baptist, is beginning to ask that same thing. There's something about this man. So he's a follower, but then he's a finder. The finder, the integrity of Jesus. What do you want? Jesus asks. As Andrew and this other unnamed disciple come up to him. And I'd love to know how Andrew hears that. And how Jesus says that. Because we can say it in in, in a multitude of different ways, can't you? You can say it in that rough way. What do you want? We can say it in that frustrated way. 
known to probably all the parents amongst us. What do you want now? You say it in a shopkeeper way. What do you want? Can I help you? Or it can be said in a, a kind way which invites a response because it conveys a, I'm here to help. I want to help answer whatever it is that you, you need. I think that's probably how Jesus asked this. What do you want? But the way they respond confuses me. What do you want? Where are you staying? It's just so ordinary, isn't it? It's just so... Oh, it's such an anticlimax. Where are you staying? But I think as Jesus asked that question, what do you want? He's playing into the heart of Andrew, who is looking for more. What do you want? We can search the internet, can't we, for those lists or those surveys, you know, those articles, 10 things that people really want. You know, if you're a regular reader of a newspaper, you know, pretty much every weekend as the, the, the weekend section comes out, there'll be something like that. Here's what people really want. And the surveys and the lists all come out with the things that we all expect. People want money. People want new jobs. People want a home. People want families. People want a partner. People want children. People want success. People want power. People want comfort. What would you answer? If Jesus asked you that question this afternoon, what do you really want? I wonder what each of us would answer. But maybe you can't answer that question. Maybe you just don't know. You're aware that you want more than what you currently have. You're aware that something is missing, but you don't know what. Maybe you don't want to admit what the answer is to that question. What do you want? Maybe you're ashamed of what the answer is. Maybe you're confused by what your, your heart's response is to that question. Maybe you won't answer it because you're scared. That if you say it out loud, you'll never get it. That it's not possible or it's not possible for somebody like me. What do you want? Andrew seems to give this slightly inane answer. And then Jesus says to him, come and you will see. There's an invitation there from Jesus. Jesus invites the intrigued. Jesus doesn't say to have the answer to that question, you need to, you need to do more. You need to earn it. He doesn't say do better. He doesn't say show yourself worthy of a response. Instead, he invites Andrew, and I think he invites us, to come and explore. To let the intrigue of our hearts develop. To explore the evidence further. Andrew follows Jesus and is invited further in. 
But that answer that Jesus gives, come and see, tells us so much more about who Jesus is. Imagine for a second that somebody asks you if they can pop over to your house this week for a cup of tea. What's the first thing you think of? Come on, somebody, somebody be brave. What's the first thing you think of? If you're anything like me, it's how tidy is the house? Oh, lots of nods, okay. We are awake, this is good. Oh, is it tidy? If Libby, my wife's awake, this is not on the notes, sorry for the people that follow the notes. If Lib goes away, it is remarkable how quickly I can turn a tidy house into an absolute bombsite. I only tend to live in two rooms, and yet somehow the whole house becomes a mess. I'm going to pop round. Oh, maybe, maybe later in the week. Just give me a bit of time to, to clean up. Tidy, maybe even dust. Let me change the illustration a little bit. Imagine now that somebody needs to do a reference for you for a job that you're applying for. And they say, I'm going to pick a random day in your life to come and analyse who you really are so that I can give a good, honest reference. So I can analyse your behaviour and your actions and your words. Imagine they could even analyse your thoughts. Which day would you pick? For them to come into your life and to see the inner workings. Again, if you're anything like me, you'd think, not that day. Or that one. No. No, I think I'd get quite far down the calendar before I'd think, well, maybe that day would be okay. How nervous would you be that they would pick the wrong day to come and analyse? Even somebody, even if you're sat there thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay person. Is Jesus who John said he was? Andrew goes looking and he asks the question and Jesus says, come and see right now. There is something, I think, remarkable in there about Jesus. That he's not thinking, I need to go home and tidy up first. I need to be able to put on a a good display. I need to show you my best, Andrew. I need to live up to all these things that John keeps saying. I've tried to get him to shut up, but he keeps saying it. There's no messing about. There's no running home quickly to clear the takeaway boxes up. Jesus has such integrity that he can say to Andrew, Andrew, come now. Come today. Come and ask your questions. Come and look. Come and see. Jesus is like one of those multi-layered cakes. Because at wherever you point, you cut into him. You see all the colours, all the layers, where, whichever way you cut it. No matter what day Andrew would have come to Jesus, he would have found him to be the same. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Andrew finds that there is a oneness, a purity to Jesus That there's no variance between the proclamation of John the Baptist that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world 
that there's no change between John's claim that Jesus is greater than John is. On that very day, on that occasion, Jesus can say, ask anything you want. Come whenever you want. Because Jesus is the real deal. And all of us know the reality that that we're not. We are not as good as some people think that we are. We know the reality that we have good days and bad days. And we know the reality that people who think the best of us wouldn't think that if they knew everything. But not Jesus. REC, this afternoon, we should be confident that Jesus has integrity. That he is good news for all people, on all days, in all ways. Jesus is not afraid of the questions that Andrew might bring. He's not afraid of being caught out. We should be people and Christians and a church that encourages people to ask their questions. Because Jesus has integrity. Perfect integrity. And we should have every confidence for every circumstance that we can come to Jesus and he will not be found wanting. And we should be confident that he is the same for all people, no matter where they're coming from. Jesus is God's chosen king for every age, every stage, and every sinner. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking Jesus is like us, but better. That paints the bar far too low. Jesus says himself that we should knock, that we should ask, and we will find. That's what Andrew did and found the integrity of Jesus. Thirdly, let us think about the fetcher, Andrew the fetcher, the invitation to Jesus. After finding Jesus, John tells us the first thing that Andrew did. It's there in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew goes and gets the famous Peter. And as he does so, he echoes the humility of John the Baptist. I like to think that there would have been a time where, on his, on his, on his bad moments... You know, later on, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, as the church has been established, as Peter is up front, there would have been times where Andrew sat on the back row and just thought, I kind of wish I hadn't told him. Maybe I'd have been up front. But at his best, at his best, I'm sure, and at his most Jesus-like he would have frequently looked back on this moment and gone, wow, thank God I went to tell Peter. 
It's the sort of character that Andrew is. I said earlier that there are very few mentions of Andrew in the Bible, elsewhere in the Bible, but the one other notable one is when Jesus feeds thousands of people on a mountainside. He asks, you know, have you got any food? The disciples feed them. And they're like, we haven't got any. And only Andrew pipes up. I'm just like, there's this one lad. He's got a little bit of food. And we're told he brings him to Jesus. This is what Andrew does. He fetches people. And then he gets out of the way. He has heard in this conversation with Jesus, we don't know what was said. But he has become convinced that the thing that intrigued him about Jesus is found to be true. That Jesus really is God come. And I don't know how much he understood, but he, he knew the truth. He recognizes to some degree we have found the Messiah. God's chosen king. God entering himself into history to save undeserving people. And to remake and renew and refresh this world. To sort it out. He's the guy. It's Jesus. And he goes and tells his brother. And then he gets out of the way. And we barely hear about him again. He's incredibly practical. It doesn't seem that he's proud at all. And I think he models to us a dynamic of true Christianity. Because true Christianity, after an encounter with Jesus, then says, I've got to tell somebody else. I've got to tell somebody else about this. C.S. Lewis, the author, writes, um, and I think this is introduction to the psalms writes about how true joy only gets its proper fulfillment it's only truly joyful when it's been expressed when it's been shared and i think that logic is is echoed here andrew discovers that something so good and the only way that he can show and know how good it is is by telling other people And so he goes and gets the one seemingly closest to him, his brother Peter. They live together in a house. If Jesus is this good, if Jesus truly is the one who satisfies the the longings that we all have, the things that are inbuilt in us, and we don't just find them in ourselves, we find them in every single person that we come across on, in every day, in every walk of life, in every country of the world. The longings for truth, the longings for meaning, the longing for, for purpose. The things that God has, has built in the human heart. The longing for justice and righteousness. The longing that there is a better future than the one that we're making for ourselves. All of that, if we find somebody who answers those questions, we've got to tell people. We want to tell people. Andrew does. The first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him we have found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. This is the Instagram dynamic, isn't it? Here's something so amazing, I want other people to see it too. 
this is why if you're into sport and you see something amazing or you know on a rarer occasion you do something amazing you want to tell people about it I want to tell you about this great golf shot that I hit no I don't want to tell you about the six putts that it took me to go from an inch let me tell you about this amazing shot. Let me tell you about the arc of the ball and then it landing on the green. Oh, just, if only you could have been there. Andrew fetches his brother and says, we have found the Messiah. This is the answer. If we, as a church, have found this answer to the longings of our hearts, if we found in Jesus a saviour who is all that he was promised to be, then let's not cut our joy short by keeping him to ourselves. Let us be like Andrew and go and bring people to Jesus. The Jesus who invites people to say, to says, and says, come and see, why don't we echo his words and say, come and see. Encounters with Jesus is a great series to invite people to. Because we're just going to say, hey guys, this is who Jesus is. Why don't you check him out? Why don't we right now think, who could I invite? Maybe you've already got somebody in mind Think, I would love it for them to come. Maybe you think, I don't know. Why don't you pray? Why don't we pray as a church? God, would you give us opportunities to bring people to Jesus? And we can trust if Jesus is all that he says he is, we don't need to worry about whether we've got the answers. We don't need to worry about whether we've got the right words. It's not dependent on us. We don't have to be impressive. We bring people to Jesus and then we get out of the way. Let's remind each other of the integrity of Jesus as we pastorally care for each other, as we speak into each other's circumstances, the ups and the downs, let's remind each other that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And it's okay to have questions. Jesus is not afraid. And Jesus is never less than kind and loving. And let us give air to the joy of our souls as we praise the one who has satisfied the deepest longings of our hearts. Let's encourage each other to sing. We're going to close our time together by singing and then praying. Let's encourage each other to increase our joy by expressing the truth. This is who Jesus is. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that the Bible has people that we recognize in it. People who are forgotten. People who are smaller, lesser, weaker. And we thank you that Jesus cares for people like them, people like Andrew, people like us. Thank you that Jesus truly is the man with the most integrity that this world has ever known. Lord, I pray that we would increasingly trust him. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be a church that 
brings people to Jesus. We are unashamed. Father, but, and I pray, Lord, that our joy would increase over this series, that we would see more of Jesus. And we would be more assured, more certain of his goodness and the way that he uses people like us, people like Andrew. Father, we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to bring people to Jesus. Lord, even in these few moments silence now before we sing, Lord, help us to, to turn that prayer to you individually. And we pray that we'd see it answered. Amen.